What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning into the Mishmash Podcast. Today, my guest is my good friend, Dave Schwartz, an MSW school social worker and bartender and unofficial mayor of Alternate Ending Beer Company in Aberdeen, New Jersey. Dave and I have been friends for 10 years, and we're going to dive into some of the uh, crazy adventures and fun that we've had, primarily focusing on uh, on craft beer, but uh, we'll, we'll cover some topics. But uh, Dave, how's it going today, buddy? Good. Thanks for having me. Long commute getting here. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, well, you just set the record for uh, for the shortest uh, shortest trek. Yeah, I definitely could have walked if I wasn't feeling a little lazy this morning. Well, and so speaking of, I mean, that's literally the perfect place to start, because we met out walking, I think, uh, 2013, right? You yep. guys moved to the block. We moved in, we, 2012, we moved to the block. Right. Okay. Exactly. So we met the following April cause it was right around Derek's birthday, right? No, uh, no, Derek hadn't been born yet, yet, or maybe just born. I was out walking Charlie when we met. The, That's right. Okay. Right. You were, I think you had Timmy. Yes. So, cause it couldn't have been, yeah, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't 2012 because we were here for like four weeks before, uh, Heather popped. <laughs> yeah, so it must have been because Timmy was in the stroller. Must have been he real little. Yeah. Oh, that's right. It was the double stroller. Yeah. I remember now. Yeah, that's right. Because we were over by the the Marines' house. That's correct, by Kevin's house. That's right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was funny because for us, we had moved from Staten Island the previous July, so we didn't really have too much time. Plus, we had Sandy, right? So right. that was kind of a crazy time because we moved July first. We had Sarah August 10th, and then um, October 29th was Sandy, and then the winter and all that stuff. So really, April was kind of the first time we were out and about and, and really just exploring the neighborhood. And uh, we saw someone, you know, a friendly face that looked to be about our age, and so we stopped. I don't know how we got to the topic of beer. I don't know either. I, I think it came up at some point in about your blog at the time. Oh, that could be. Yeah. Well, maybe I think you. You know, we were talking about how that you were a writer, and then you had a beer blog, and then I mentioned that I also like beer. So maybe that's how it got started. You mentioned that you liked beer. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was there was a king of the mountain at the time, if, if I remember correctly. the the one The one beer to rule them all, if I remember. Yeah, that was. Uh, you asked me what my favorite beer was, and I said it was Blue Moon. <laughs> oh my! And it's so fun. I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but it's just so funny to look back on. All the literal thousands of beers we've had since then, and that's you want to talk like an auspicious beginning to it. That's yeah. yeah I mean, it's funny because I knew I always liked beer. I mean, I worked in the uh, part time in the industry since I was twenty one, working in different liquor stores. I always knew I liked beer, trying new beers. But until I met you and really like discovered how deep it really goes, I had no idea how much more there was besides Blue Moon. I just knew I liked beer at that point. But then I think once our friendship um, started off from there and you started teaching me, you know, based on all the beers and travel experience you had that my like, um, you know, I just kind of went crazy as far as trying to find new beers at that point better than Blue Moon. Yeah. And it's great. It's it's definitely a boomerang effect because now I've, I'm constantly learning just about beer stuff in general, but in so many other facets. And that's, that's what I think is the most interesting thing too. If you look at the journey that we've each been on separately, but also together, like we've really covered some ground in terms of beer. It started out, like you said, like you just liked Blue Moon. We were kind of just getting into it. I want to, I feel like 2010 or 2011 was the first time we went to like Dogfish Head, um, Heather and I. And so we were still really, really new into the scene, if you want to call it that. And to think about, well, I guess we're going to talk about all the stuff today, but to, to think of all the experiences that we've had since then, it's pretty wild. It's been, it's been a long 10 years. <laughs> Uh, a lot of, we've literally covered a lot of round, uh, ground um, 
together and separate and then bringing back beer back for each other from our trips. So it's been a lot of fun stuff. Yeah, I think so. And, and I, re- I don't remember how far into my journey, numerically speaking, I was at that point. I don't know if I had hit the thousand mark yet, but I think I, I feel like it, I was much, much earlier on where it was like, you know, I was trying to, uh, I guess, go for a hundred different beers or 500, whatever it was. And I just remember that number seemed like so ridiculously insurmountable. <laughs> and then, I mean, as you know, you, you know better than anybody, right? How quickly that can, yeah, can escalate. Absolutely. The other thing that's crazy too is we had just, so, I mean, I started trying different beers back in 2006, give or take. So back in college, you know, we were in the city, so we we're going to freaking Applebee's mm-hmm. and, you know, all these places. I wasn't into the, the craft scene at all, but I got tired of having just like the same stuff all the time. So that's how I wound up going for, for Sam Adams. And then... Uh, there was this beer distributor in Brooklyn and they had this beers of the world pack, which I realize now is partly just like old shitty beer that they never sold. Right. Just trying to get rid of it. But, uh, but still, I mean, it blew my mind that I could have beer from China, from Thailand, like all over the place. And then it was really that thing that kind of spurred me on. So the year or two before we met, Heather's cousin and I had started that beer blog, the beer whispers, and we were starting to go and check places out. So that was like Cloverleaf Tavern sure. was huge, huge in my beer education. And, and you know, their MBA and PhD programs like helped a lot in that regard. So by the time we met, I guess I was, the, I guess the, the momentum was really building. But it was an interesting time for beer in New Jersey specifically, because I think it was feasible to get to every single brewery in the state back then i I, I know in 2011 it was but even in 2013 like i feel like there wasn't just you know an insurmountable number no and it when was it 20 it was 2011 or 2012 when the beer laws changed in new jersey um where they were able to charge for to go to tasting and you had to have a tour so that's what allowed all these at that time there weren't that many breweries because their their mindset was like we can't really how do we make money if we have to give our beer away all the time so it was around i guess 2012 Really, when the boom really started happening in New Jersey and then breweries were just popping up like wildfire everywhere. Yeah, because I don't know if we had... Oh, man, was it... There, there was a guy that we knew that was like really big in the New Jersey craft beer scene. And I don't remember if it was like NewJerseyBeer.com. I, I just remember he was one of the first follows I had on like Untapped and, and Instagram. But I remember he had a map, like a brewery mm. map, which tells you how few mm. there were, right? That yeah. you could actually put like right. the, the logos and stuff on there. And I think we... Co- I mean... I, I would say between the two of us, we probably hit at least half, if not three quarters of what oh, was out there. without a doubt. But, easily. But there were definitely some that were more out of the way, especially like up north. Like right. I feel like we did more, you know, from the, I mean, I know if you're from New Jersey, there is no such thing as central Jersey, right? But from the middle portion of the state south, we covered a lot of ground. And, you know, part of the fun was at that point just sort of exploring it. But I know for me, I, I feel like we've both slowed down a lot in the you know, sampling stuff regard. And I, for all of our drinking experience, I wouldn't classify either of us as a beer snob, but I do feel like it's sort of an inevitable consequence of all of the beer that we've had is our, our palates have become a little more refined, right? We sure. know what we like and really we know what we don't like. And I know for me, you know, it's one thing when you're out on a, a road trip and you're in the middle of freaking Kansas or Nevada, or, you know, wherever, and like, you just want something to drink. Mm. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, the same amber lager hefeweizen you know like all that stuff but when you're going out in new jersey and trying to explore all these new places and it's just the same thing over and over again it gets kind of old kind of quick i guess yeah 
And it's also it's been crazy to see how much since then how the beer scene has grown how we grew and then we were you know we were like so into it chasing whales per se you know for a while and then you know trying to try every beer that came out from every local brewery but then as you said we discovered what we liked what we didn't like and you know with both of us having kids and and busy lives it just got hard to do that as much yeah and for the uninitiated uh among us whale hunting is the term for, you know, going after like really rare, exclusive beers, ones that are really sought after, really difficult to obtain, you know, uh, to, to go out of state. Like I think of like uh, Dark Lord, right, from from Three Floyds. They have a whole day dedicated to it. Uh, Hunapu is another one. And, you know, those are those are things that like they're released once a year, super limited. And then the, the variations and stuff become even rarer. And so... I think it's fair to say we both got caught up in that craze. Without a doubt. And yeah, I mean, looking back, I'm not proud of, it wasn't even just the beer hunting. It was the hoarding that I was doing Mm -hmm. that eventually I was just like, you know what? Like, I mean, as it is in the the fridge, that's probably 15 feet to your left. There's still bottles of KBS Mm -hmm. that I had snagged that I just, I never opened, you know, and I hated, that was the aspect of it that I hated the most. It was like getting all of this really great stuff. And then not having it because it was too rare and too special. Right. Just sitting and looking at like trophies. I'm, I still have hundreds and hundreds of bottles um, at home that, you know, back in the day, we used to go to, you know, bottle shares often. So that'd be part of the reason for hoarding all this stuff is you bring them because you want to, you know, share with other people. But again, with lack of time, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I don't really do that anymore. So now I have these hundreds of bottles of like 15% stouts that I'm never going to drink by myself. So yeah, like it was fun while it was, but now I also regret um, how deep we were into it. So, so wait, are you implying that to drink a 15 or 19 or 20% stout by yourself would be a bad idea if you're someone like me? Um, probably not the best idea. At least if there's like fans and stuff out on the floor and, you, you, you know. You're in asking for trouble. There's only one bathroom and it's not in the bedroom. Yeah, you're definitely asking for potential hazards. Yeah. I didn't get electrocuted that night. Yeah. That's <laughs> Oh, that's a positive. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, listen, we could all do it. It's just at this point in our lives, it's probably not. There's nothing good's going to happen out of it if, if we do kill off a 15, 20% bottle by ourselves. Right. And again, it's it's fun for us to have this conversation now. And full disclosure, I don't think I, I don't even know if Heather's aware of this. But part of the uh, motivation that I had in starting a podcast was you. And it's so funny because it didn't even seem like you remembered that uh, that anecdote or incident before. But a couple of years ago, when I was still really into the beer blog and trying to branch out and do different things, you had mentioned that you were invited to go on to a beer podcast with I can't, I, I can't yeah, w- think of who they were. It was just two guys sure. that had, you know, a channel or whatever. Sure. And. I loved that idea. And I just thought that, wow, that's really cool. Like I didn't know much about podcasting at the time, but given the, you know, the interest that the blog had developed and just my enjoyment of it, I really, it, that was where it kind of got put into the back burner. You know, I just, I didn't feel that I wanted to do a beer podcast specifically just because I wasn't sure that I would enjoy it in terms of the content. And again, there were just so many channels and so much content out there already. I didn't feel like I could contribute to it, but in in essence, I'm here today in part because of that conversation with you. So uh, appreciate that. I think I I do remember us talking about it, but I don't remember who it was or what podcast. And yeah, I was always a little nervous about doing something like this, but um, I'm glad you asked me and um, yeah, this this is fun. Yeah, no, it's, and it's so wild, again, to be doing this now looking backwards because 
I, I feel like, I can't say that I feel like I've wasted time, but there was so much time spent early on going after beer, waiting for beer, traveling, traveling to, mm-hmm. for beer. There's a couple of stories coming up, you know, about that. And, you know, one of the, I would say the, the biggest, best thing that's happened beer wise was we were, I felt like we were always trying to level up mm-hmm. in the sense that it was like, okay, so we would learn about something new, a new style, a new brewery, something that's rare. And it was like, okay, cool. Let's try that. Wow. That's good. One of the, the first ones I can think of was Pliny the Younger. Mm-hmm. So Pliny the Elder, I was fortunate enough to get a couple of bottles of from a buddy who lives out in San Francisco. And I mean, it was eye opening. It was, you know, unbelievable. And then we heard about this apocryphal, you know, uh, younger version that was a triple IPA, which at that point, you know, was essentially unheard of. And I don't know if you remember. Uh, so I don't even know. How did you find out about the the spot in Philly? I think just social media. I maybe seen or maybe I saw it in like a beer Facebook group or a beer thread or somewhere. I'm pretty sure I saw it in like on Facebook or something. Well, for so that day was hands down the earliest I've ever gotten up for beer. I, I, and we got up, the, the worst part was we got up even earlier because it was supposed to be a trio. Right. And uh, our buddy just, you know, didn't feel like getting up. So we sat outside of his house for what felt like a half an hour before, you know, taking yeah. off. But like, I mean, the sun wasn't even up. No, I think we, I think I picked you up, I want to say around five. Oh, then we man. went and waited to see if he was joining us. And then we probably hit the road by 530. I think we were in Park, Philly by seven. Yeah, it, w- it wasn't too bad. And the funny thing was, I know for some people that must sound absolutely insane, but I don't know about you, but I remember like getting butterflies as we were closing in on Philly because I was afraid we didn't leave early. Enough. Right. And as it was, when we got online, I want to say we were like 10th and 11th yeah, we or 15th and 16th. We weren't even close. To, well, not, we were kind of close, but we had, no, we weren't the first online. So other people had the same idea. And, and, and again, back then... It was so hard. Like we again, we heard about this beer, and, and it was if you didn't live in San Francisco for the one time a year that it w- it was uh, released at the brewery, you were never getting it. So I think I I had heard that they released a keg or two to Philly, you know, once in a while back then, um, which led us to it. But I guess other people had the same idea. Yeah, it was the one specific bar. I don't know if it was Broad Street, there was some place that that had it. And I remember we got there, like you said, by the time we finally walked over, it was between seven and seven thirty. Mm-hmm. I want to say. They opened at like 11. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we fucking stood there for four hours waiting to be let in. And then the other part of it too was, at least for me, like I'm not a big morning beer guy. And so that was like a whole weird thing. They, they were serving us breakfast, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, but we, we wound up with a golden ticket yeah. and th- there was more to it. It wasn't just like, oh, we went, we waited online, we got it. And then, you know, that was it. It was, again, an experience and it was worth it to me to have tried it because it, it still is one of the best beers that I've ever had. But if the opportunity presented itself now, I, there's just no way I would no. spend that time. No, it's funny. It's, it's funny you say that, um, you know, because that also was cool that day is not only that beer, but they, I think they had um, most of uh, Russian rivers, uh, you know, available catalog on that day. So we got to try, you know, a few things we've had before blind pig and, and elder. So I think we, they may have even done like a flight or something of those. Um, but, it was fun. I think we met a couple of people online, you know, we were bullshitting with, which was cool. But again, yeah, no, if you were to ask me to do that at this point in our lives, I have no interest. Yeah. And we wound up ha- and the, the funny thing was, I don't know how much 
further ahead calendar wise the next instance was but then it was at least a few months later at maloney's we wound up getting a chance to uh to sample it again but that was just a clusterfuck i think we inadvertently skipped like like 200 people on the line or something like that dude i i just somehow remember getting inside way sooner than uh yeah than we should have yeah and uh yeah so that was and, and i remember being like tucked into the corner somewhere because uh-huh. there were some people that were pissed it wasn't an, uh-huh. an, an intentional you know right. line skipping thing but yeah and so the whole time factor of it i know for me it really changed when not not when we had kids because we already had kids and that was part of the fun you know of visiting breweries and stuff was doing it as a family sure can't imagine it was much fun for the kids but still you know it was it was just a good experience for me and other and you know when, when we got to go too but the time spent, it just became a time sink. And, you know, we were doing some beer trading. And, and again, like it's it's more than just drinking beer. There's a craft beer community. Mm-hmm. There's a network. There's all this stuff. And I remember just to, to circle back to what I was saying about us leveling up, the two insane moments that stand out for me in terms of that leveling up <laughs> was the uh, the beer tasting in Matawan. I don't know if you remember that night. I always sure do. I remember it. So that you sure <laughs> I, I, is is the NDA still in effect for this? Or? <laughs> I know. I think I think times times expired. I think uh, and and with coat names and such involved. To, to make a long story short, we were invited to go for a beer tasting at, at a, a friend's house, and there were other people there, and you know it was just a typical. It seemed like it was going to be a typical beer night, and. The kinds of stuff that this guy had were, I mean, these were legendary beers. These were beers that, like, I would sit there and read about and, like, thirst for, like a, you know, a horny teenage boy looking through a a Playboy or something. And this guy had all of them. They were, and multiple ones just in the fridge, and he was popping them left and right. Like it was nothing. And we were drinking them like it was nothing. Now, for you, it was nothing. But for me, we had the the uh, wheat wine. So that was like 16%. Mm-hmm. Then we had Black Tuesday and all these beers. And it was just like I knew I needed to say no at some point, And I just couldn't because, you know, I mean, I, this was having like thimblefuls towards right. the end. And I just I couldn't stop myself. And that was when somebody had the Westie 12. Uh-huh. So that was crazy. Uh, that's, at least for me, like the best quad that I've ever had. And and then somebody literally had a bottle of Pappy, like 21, in uh. his trunk. He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Somehow Pappy came up. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, somebody gave this to me. And, uh, you know, we're sitting there thinking, like, ah, there's no freaking way. And, it, I mean, it had a velvet bag. Yeah, do you remember uh-huh. that? I do. Oh, my God. And, uh, and that, you're right. It was just literally in his trunk. It, it's, and it, it, did, it did not taste like pennies. Yeah. No. <laughs> For for what it's worth. Yeah. So that night, I remember we made it home and it was one of the few times that I actually got sick from drinking beer. And I remember being in the bathroom and Heather was freaking out because she thought I was like, you know, it was like an exorcism going on. And she comes in and I had like one moment of clarity where I looked up and I just flashed two thumbs up and I was like, it was so worth it because we got to try. It was like the bucket list of beers. And the whole thing just got checked off. Mm-hmm. And I remember just being amazed because so much of this stuff was California-based only. And we just, we couldn't figure out how how the hell this guy got it. And it turned out that it was through, you know, networking, through mm-hmm. beer trading and stuff. And in a way, that was the best thing that happened for me. But the worst thing, too, because now all of a sudden, like, I had too much at my fingertips. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. And, you know, I think you and I are like um, to the point where when we get into something, we we get into something. And um, once I once I found out that 
there's a whole other world of beers in in the in the United States and beyond that I could try. I just had to do a little bit of networking and to get them, um, I was all in. Within a couple months, I mean, I know I had trade partners throughout the country. Um, you know, you wanted something and you wanted a beer, I was, I'll, I'll get you that beer. Like it, it got really... I, 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 I dove way, way in. Uh, dude, I told you, because I remember uh, around the, the time, too, like, you were the Walter White. Uh, you were the, the Heisenberg of, uh, the Heisenberg of Hazlitt. There yeah. we go. <laughs> I like that. For uh, for beer. No, and I mean, yeah, anybody who knows me knows I go 100 miles an hour all in too, too often. And with the beer trading especially, it was bad enough before that when we would go to, you know, the four stores on 35, basically, and then, you know, a couple ones here or there and, and sort of load up. But at, with this, it was just, it was ridiculous. And I remember, I, I know we both kind of felt guilty for just the financial expenditure. Mm-hmm. Neither, neither of us like to spend money on ourselves. We're, you know, we always think of the, our kids first and our wives and the family, the households and stuff. And I know... It, it almost became an obsession because I was it, the FOMO was mm. so bad with a lot of this stuff. And the problem, too, was without divulging specific, the, the specifics, like we had become members out of state of a, a brewery that just puts out unbelievable stuff. And it's not like, oh, once once in a year or once in a while, you know, it was literally like every month. Mm-hmm. It was just so, so, so much stuff. And then that was just that part of it. And then we each had our own separate, uh, you know, trading situations and stuff. And I know that was my turning point. That was the apex of my beer beering, I guess, because, you know, I, if you, if you know that, I don't know if it's like an actual story or again, if it's apocryphal, the, the whole uh, turning the pen cap into a, a house thing where you trade up like the, some guy, I think it was like a TEDx talk or something, TED talk. And supposedly the guy was able to take either a paperclip or a pen cap and continue to trade it up for things until he finally got like a house, like free wow. and clear wow. with a mortgage. And that's how it felt for me with the beer, because I just had some extra stuff from a local, you know, New Jersey brewery that apparently was, you know, pretty well sought after. And I remember, you know, I, I threw it up on one of the forums and the guy that went for it, I, I guess I offered more than anybody else did and i didn't care like i guess the guy was used to sort of getting like harangued or or bartered down and stuff and i'm like i don't care dude like i i got extras so you know whatever and so that generosity is what opened the door with him and i mean it got to the point where like he was sending me boxes of extras Mm -hmm. like filled with like 10 15 bottles that were like 50 dollars a piece and I just, I couldn't keep up with the demand. You know, it wasn't like he was demanding, but like he needed stuff, you know, again, locally. And it got to the point, I remember like Tim had just started doing flag football. Sarah was doing soccer at the time. And, you know, he's like, oh, hey, this just dropped. Can you get over to this brewery or that brewery? And I'm like, dude, I'm at the field. You know, like right. I'm, I'm coaching, I'm doing this. And so that was for me, I guess, a growing up moment in, in more sense than one. And it's funny too to, to to mention Tim and football because I mean you're actually the man who taught my son how to <laughs> how to catch a football with his face with his face with yeah. his face yeah uh, it was great so to to rewind though you were already way into the whole scene beforehand I didn't find that out until a couple of years into our friendship right that like when you were in college did you 
were you a bartender or was it just from the, the Greek life? Like- no, in college, I, um, I got my first job in the, in the industry working in a liquor store when I was 21. Um, it was a part-time job. So I used to, every shift, I'd come home um, and I'd bring a six-pack with me. You know, because again, back then, there wasn't like, like now you go to any liquor store and, and you could like buy, buy the single or, or mix packs. But back then, you know, it wasn't, that wasn't such a thing. So I would come home every night from my shift at the liquor store and bring home different six-pack with me. Um, I, like I said, I, I love trying new things. I just had no idea what the um, what it really looked like um, at that point. Right. And then, it's, so it's it's funny too, because I guess I kind of live vicariously through you because my Squires affiliation actually prevents me from ever working in the industry. Oh, I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, I would have to sacrifice that. And that's obviously too big of a, a thing. And funny enough too, right? It was, that was May. So that happened right after we met because that was May of 2013 that I got the... Um, what do you call it? The plot deed sure. and all that. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I have a, I have a, a laundry list here of either stories or, or anecdotes uh, related to beer and to sports. So one of the things that I want to talk about was some of our specific adventures that we had gone on. And the one that stands out right out of the top of my head was the extreme beer fest in oh. Boston. Do you remember going up there? I, I remember most of it. Yeah. I mean, I went a few, I went a few times. Did you go once or did you go a few times as well? I got all of the, the experience in, in, one, in that one, one setting. And again, just to speak. So I have two friends, you and this guy, Brenton that I knew from, uh, from Baruch who either have no liver or the superpower is just this ability to, pound him down it really is unbelievable and not in a you know a silly bro uh frat kind of thing or whatever it's just i mean you're you guys are tanks like there's no stopping you and that night the extreme beer fest if i remember correctly we didn't go up together no we we met at the event and i think you had either pre-gamed uh beforehand right then went and outdid me there again not a competition but i just remember like i was ready to tap out and you were still rolling and then you got invited to like not an after party, but like something at the hotel you were at or something. Yeah, I think I, it was like a bottle share or something. The, the bottle hotel. share, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah, I, I went. I went to the Extreme Beer Fest. I want to say three, four, maybe five times, but that was, I think that was one of the first ones, and that was a really, really good time. I enjoyed that festival every year until I couldn't hang like that anymore. Uh, my last year that I was there. Oh, uh, well, and that's the thing, right? So for for anybody who's not familiar with it, so there's all kinds of beer festivals, and they've gotten much better. What's great is you know when you go to those events, it's an opportunity to sort of do some one one stop shopping. Wow, it was like a, a brain fart there, where you know you can try a bunch of stuff from a bunch of different places all in one spot without having to travel, but. The flip side of it is most of it's just flagship beer, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's nothing special. That's what made the Extreme Beer Fest so unique and, and awesome. Yeah, that was – and that was like – it was literally like a convention center of breweries with like hype beers that we were never getting anywhere else that were extreme in nature by either – adjuncts added or abv so that was it was a very cool festival you know and especially back then piggybacking what what you said is i i still don't really love beer festivals because they're most of them are usually like like you said like distribution fests like they're distributors with where miller products or bud products 
So back then, there was very rare to find a festival like this where it was, you know, brewery specific and trying things that you couldn't just try anywhere. So that's, yeah, it was a really good time. Yeah. And for Heather and I, our favorite events were always the Dogfish Head ones, right? So they had uh, the Analog Go-Go. They had the Weekend of Compelling Ales and whatnot. And those were great, too, because, again, like it was stuff that was brewed specifically for the event that you would never have anywhere else. And then at least for Dogfish Head, there was music. There were local artisans and food and all that kind of stuff. And so the Extreme Beer Fest was cool, too, because I guess I had my holy trinity of, uh, of brewers. And I actually got to meet Patrick from the brewery mm-hmm. there, which was so cool. It was such a, a yeah. fanboy nerd out moment. I don't remember if Sam was pouring from Dogfish Head, but, but I had met him a couple of times before that. And now I'm trying to think of when I met Jim Cook from... Um, I think it was that night as well. Yeah, because I wound up with... He signed my uh, Utopia yeah, bottle. I'm pretty sure it was that night as well, because I, I have a picture with him too. Yeah, so... Because I know he gave some kind of speech or something. It, it, oh, no, no. No, that know, was another event you went to. Th- that's right. That was a beer writing convention yeah. of all things at held at Sam Adams. But even still, the point was it was a great way to sort of rub elbows with some of the bigger people in, in the industry and yeah, just try some like ridiculous, unbelievable. And, and I went to, you know, I think I went to Boston about five times for Extreme Beer Fest, but I actually went out, they did Extreme Beer Fest one time in um, Los Angeles and I actually went out for that as well. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's cool. Yeah. Lauren was a saint. Let me go out there with our, our buddy, Matt, who, you know, used to send us the brewery stuff. I went to, uh, I went to um, Extreme Beer Fest in Los Angeles, which was awesome. It was a really good time. Because you're, now you're trying you know, other beers from that side of the country um, that you never were going to be able to see or find. So that was really fun. Yeah. And, you know, again, even a couple of years ago, maybe even when you were out there, like there was stuff that was just so difficult to procure here. And again, it's, it must be the same everywhere, right? No matter where you live, you can't get everything in the same place. And so, you know, we were pining for Russian river for, at least for me, like Firestone Walker, just all these great different spots that were out there. And again, I guess through the beer trading, that's how I found out, you know, which Jersey and New York breweries were really big and whatnot. And it's so unbelievable now to walk into our, our wine academy and to find you know lawson's sitting on the shelf alchemist to, to have alchemist there and right. be like oh you want some like and i think that 10 years ago that's what i hoped the beer scene would become and you know in new jersey see that's the problem for people who don't know like new jersey have has these draconian unbelievably ridiculous uh laws where it comes to alcohol liquor licenses restrictions and stuff and it's gotten better over time but it's still not anywhere near where it should be. No, and I actually I want to say if there are not many positives that came out of the pandemic, but the one that I could think of is um, the amount of beer we can get here now that we couldn't get before. It's because all these breweries had all this beer that people couldn't go to their tasting rooms to try, so they started packaging it, and then they just started sending in distributions. Now, I think that's part of the reason we get so many breweries here in New Jersey that we never thought of we'd ever see on our shelves. Yeah, and and it's so funny to think of shelf those as shelf beers. It, yeah. Like, I walk past, you know, Sip of Sunshine all the time to something else. You know, it, I, the first time I saw Zombie Dust yeah. just sitting there, it was... Uh, it was crazy. We had, oh man, the Extreme Beer Fest was uh, was great. Did, we didn't, was it a festival we went to it in Chimney Creek or we just, we just kept no, finding we, ourselves out there? No, we had, because we had joined the membership there as well. I don't think we ever went to any of their big events or anything. That, we, but we used to go down either one or both, one or both to pick up bottles for our membership that we had ordered. That's right. And that's, so if I'm not mistaken, I think that's the bathroom that had the soccer goal that I sent you. Uh, yes. Sent you the video of. Yes. 
Um, I do want to mention, so the reason I stopped going to Extreme Beer Fest, I don't even know if they still have it because of the pandemic. Actually, you know what? They don't. They do a Extreme Beer Fest in a box thing now. So you could order like um, a case, like all the different breweries, they'll, they'll can that beer and I could order, or bottle it and I could order that. But the reason I stopped going to Extreme Beer Fest my last time several years ago is um, I had such a good time at the festival and the after party that uh, me and my buddy decided to take a nap in an elevator that night. Oh. And uh, that did not go well um, when tenants of the building that we were staying in came home late at night to find us uh, sleeping in an elevator. Oh, it wasn't even a hotel. No, we had rented an Airbnb and it was like a condo building. Oh, man. And um, yeah, they were not happy when they came home at two in the morning to find two of the patrons sleeping in the elevator. I'm, I'm just picturing the scene from Borat, right? Yeah. When, when he's going through, I will not accept the smaller room. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> pretty much. So it was after that where I came home and I said, I'm not, I'm not cut out for this anymore. Again, the NDA, there's, oh man. I think it was twice that we went down to Atlantic City together with yeah, <laughs> as a group. Now, <clears throat> this was this was at well after like the super hype of Four Loco uh, running rampant. But for some ungodly reason, I was I was hell bent on trying it and mixing it with stuff. Mm. Were you there for the absinthe? And Four Loco one? No, I was there just for the Four Loco one, which was the second time. Okay, yeah, which yeah. is when I think they had changed the recipe at that point but you were able to still find some of the original maybe in like Staten Island or something uh, yeah at, at a 7-Eleven right of all, of all places yeah so we <laughs> yeah that uh just as a PSA forget the NDA right uh, here, here's the PSA don't mix Four loco and liquor uh, just just don't don't do it that one wound up being a fun night we were celebrating my friend James's engagement okay and we <laughs> We went to that secret bar uh-huh, that was in, awesome. uh, in Trump Plaza when it was still there. And I, but it's one of my favorite pictures of all time is him blacked out on the bar. We, the, we had just left the, the hotel room after the four locoing. And I guess it just took him out, took his legs out right from under him. And then there's the, the, the rest of us. They were all smiling and posing for the that picture. That was a great picture, yeah. But And, and speaking of sleeping where you're not supposed to, I believe he was also the one who then passed out on the carpet like curled up on the carpet at the entrance to Tropicana yeah and that's when we decided it was time to uh to put him to bed yeah and yeah that oh, that was was it a it wasn't the jitney it was a cab right I think you guys popped in a cab yeah it was a cab back yeah and uh yeah that was a legendary conversation between you and that guy oh yeah you made uh great friends there <laughs> uh, always uh then we came back and then i think the the dave schwartz uh, freight train took off <laughs> oh man yeah i i just remember as happened so many times winding up at johnny rockets at like 4 4 30 yeah. in the morning oh but so yeah you weren't there for the uh the absinthe one and I, again i'm not one to condone you know being an asshole when you're drinking or, or drinking too much or whatever but this was just one of those few times where you know it's just it was too much too fast <laughs> and it was the only time and, and funny for my bachelor party i mean obviously this was before we met but you know the story that we wound up doing pup golf yep and the goal was to try to do like each drink okay let me restart that so pub golf was an idea we got from my wife of all of all people from Oh, was it Love Actually? Some kind of rom-com. It was something that came up there. And we all just decided this would be the best bachelor party idea that we could do. So long story short, we decided to go to 18 bars in the city. And we had a whole scoring system and everything where, you know, if you had, like, I didn't want it to get out of control with people trying to one-up each other. So, like, straight liquor was two under, a mixed drink was one under, a beer was par, like that kind of thing. And so at the end of that night, I had had 
I think it was 18 shots of Jack. No, I had the bonus 19th shot that wound up all over Brenton's shirt because mm-hmm. I uh, I spilled all over. Uh, and then the freaking brain hemorrhage shot and the, oh the tequila God. shot. So even that night, I didn't black out. I did commit a hate crime on the way home, uh, which is a, a separate story. I'll, I'll do an episode about that at some point. <laughs> but with the, the four loco and absinthe mixing night, that was bad because I didn't even like I didn't even feel it happening. Like I oh, one second, you know, we're listening to music, we're drinking in the room. And the next thing I know, I'm sitting, I wake up and I'm sitting up in the bed and, uh, it just, it was downhill from there. But I remember being on a jitney there too, at like four in the morning, coming back from Borgata. There's a lot of bad things that happen in Atlantic City. And that late at night too, or early in the morning, I guess. Oh, that was terrible. But, um, going back to the taste things too, I think it's kind of neat. So, you know, you were, you've always been unbelievably generous, unbelievably generous when it comes to the beer stuff, whether it's sharing beer that you've gotten, sharing, you know, and contacts and stuff. And I've always appreciated that. And I, I mean, it's a tab I can never pay off, but I'm always, you know, I, I, I think of it as hopefully being like reciprocal. But you no, know? it is reciprocal because whenever you guys go away or you're, or you're traveling for one of the kids' things, you always think of me of, hey, I'm going to this brewery. Can I bring you anything? So no, like that's a beautiful thing that I always loved about the beer scene is that, there's a lot of greedy people out there who they overvalue and overhype, you know, things. But then there's also normal people like us who, well, normal, the quotes, <laughs> um, who, listen, I paid this for a beer, so you're going to pay this for a beer. Like, I, I traded this, so you're going to trade this. Like, and we've always had that mutual respect for one another that whatever one of us got, we shared with the other. And that's just how the community should be. That's how beer should be is, you know, it's a beautiful thing for people to try and share with the ones that they care about. Yeah. No, and I guess it's more, it's less the beer, more... The contacts, the contacts, not context, because I realize like that, that's tough. It's tough to network. It's tough to build in, in any profession or, or any, <coughs> any, uh, you know, passion pursuit or whatever it is. And so I never wanted to sort of be a leech, you know, like, and I appreciated any invitations that I got to things. And it's kind of cool. I don't know if you were aware of this, but one of the, uh, I'll, I'll call it a secret bottle share tasting thing at, um, a local, well, not, not so local, but, uh, you know, a couple towns down at one of the bars down there. That place was actually featured on Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, which was yeah. so trippy to, to see that. I was like, holy shit. I sat at that table, yeah. you know, having... And well-deserved, because there's a really good, good group of people that own that place. Oh, it, it's really, really, really good. The, and the that was... What was it? The, um, the Irish egg rolls, I think, right? Oh, the... Uh... Some kind of, yeah, the pizza rolls, I think they were called. No, no, it was, oh. the, it was the one with like Thousand Island dressing and corned oh. beef and stuff. Oh, think, yeah, yeah, no, they did have those too. Yeah. I, I don't remember what they called it, right. but uh, yeah, the food was great. And again, too, right? To be able to open up the doors on a whatever it was, Wednesday, Thursday night or whatever, to a bunch of hooligans. Mm-hmm. And I mean, listen, to be fair, right? I, I goof on it, but, you know, we were all respectful and, Absolutely. you know, we shared. And that was another thing too was, it wasn't a pissing contest in terms of who brought the best stuff or, you know, whatever. And it, and I, I do remember one or two times where somebody was kind of like that. And like, you could see it was like the whole group, the dynamic shifted against that person. And they, you know, some of them didn't come back and mm. some of them realized and kind of fell into line, I guess. Yeah. Cause that's not, as I said, that's not what beer is supposed to be. Beer is supposed to be, let's have fun. Let's, let's shoot the shit, drink beer, watch the game, whatever. Like it's not supposed to be a contest or, or pissing match, like whatever it's, yeah, those, that's what everything that's wrong with beer and, you know, working in the industry for a long time now, I've seen the ugliest of ugly and I've seen the best of the best. Um, it's just, a, it's just a fun hobby and there's no reason to, to be an idiot over it. No. And one of, and that, that's my problem with a lot of the festivals. And again, I was just talking to, to James and Danny about this recently. Like I, 
I've had a lot of fun at those events, but what tends to ruin it is the other people. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I'm trying not to be as antisocial as I've been, but like, it's the same thing with concerts. Like, I don't even like to go to shows right. anymore because of other people, because people just either lack the self-awareness to, to understand that like they're being assholes and ruining a good time for other people or whatever. And with beer, obviously it's even worse, right? Because the more you drink, the less inhibited you become. And right. it just, it kind of spirals yeah, out of control. Yeah. And that's also one of the reasons why, like, as I mentioned, I don't really love beer festivals because they just turn to these, most of the time these drunk fests. And I just don't really have the patience for it anymore. Um, at this point in my life. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just not worth it. But as big of a passion as beer is for us, if there's a one A and a one B, the one B has to be sports. hundred percent. And we, I mean, I don't remember when, again, I guess it had to have been right around that time that we met because, uh, we were talking basketball. Mm. You're a, a big Yankee. I mean, Yankees above anything else, I would think. Right. Yes. At this point. A, absolutely. And a Giants fan. So you, you it's funny. You're. Yankee fandom and Giants fandom maybe balances out the Nets fandom. Maybe not. I don't know. No, it's funny is because, you know, I've I've been fortunate enough as fans of the Yankees and Giants my entire life to see a lot of success, a lot of winning. But it's it's the, the Nets failure that has me that has me the most. Like I just want to see them win something and I'm pretty sure it's never gonna happen at this point. I, and I'm lucky that the Nets didn't move to Brooklyn when I was there because I might not be a Heat fan if I had had, you know, right. a, a team, an actual, like, real basketball oh, God, team. could you imagine well, how things would have turned? Yeah, because apparently, I guess there's some, like, rec team or something that plays in uh, Manhattan, Madison Square Garden or something. Something like that, yeah, like so, a JV team. But, yeah, yeah. But, so if we would have had an actual basketball team, that would have been great. And it's funny, too, because for as ardent a Heat fan as I am, you're equally, if not more, passionate about the Nets. And so I've always loved that we've been able to maintain a mutual respect for each other's fandom and support too. Like when, you know, when your guys are up and my guys were down after LeBron left and Wade left, you know, I, I almost looked at the Nets as like a surrogate thing. Like if they, when they were streaking, I was like, okay, good. At least Dave's happy, you know? And yeah, and that's the same as we actually, you and I actually don't have, we don't root for any of the same sports teams. So the fact that we've always had that mutual respect and being able to support one another, knowing how much respective teams mean, mean to one another. But I feel the same way as, again, like, listen, obviously there's teams I like and I don't like. Like, you know, I don't care for teams that play in the city of Boston, but like, whatever. If I have a friend who's going to root for them and they're going to be happy, that's cool. It, like, it does, it doesn't, it does mean nothing. Like, to get upset and angry about it. If my friends are happy, then I'm happy. So that's kind of the way it's always worked. You've been fortunate enough to see the Heat have a lot of success, and I've seen the Nets almost have success. Yeah, right. But again, with the Giants, too, like, right, right to, to have gotten the two that they got against New England, of all places, right? Like, that's what I mean. Like, and that's what hurts about being a Vikings fan. And that I think your Nets fandom and my Vikings fandom sort of line up more, you know, like, because you understand. And, and I mean, to a lesser extent, being a Mets fan, I'm not big into baseball, but th those two teams, the, the Mets and the Vikings, cause enough suffering that, you know, it, it should almost be illegal. But, you know, and I, I just told the story recently, you know, like in uh, the Mall of America in Minneapolis, there was the Green Bay Packers team store with their freaking T-shirts with the, uh, you know, dust cobweb covered Vikings trophy, Super Bowl trophy case. And so for me, like even my friend Mike, who's a Jets fan, like, you know, he goes on and on about how difficult it's been and everything. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, but you got one. Right. And you got a good one, too. Right. And that's what I mean. Like for, for Jets fans to have that one in the bag, to me, is the same as Giants fans having the two that they have. And obviously they have more, you know, from the Sims era and everything. But what I think is really cool, there's, there's two things I wanted to touch on as it pertains to sports. One is I think we're f so fucking lucky as fans of the Nets and the Heat to have 
procured these ridiculous experiences that we've had. And Heather wanted me to bring up or, or talk about the picture of you and Lauren, right, from the Nets game. Do you, do you know the one I'm talking about? I think you guys had it framed. Where you're, you're the only ones in the entire <laughs> yes. section, right? Yes. And we actually had the team sign it. Which is, I, that's what I mean. That, now, you guys were season ticket holders, or so, what's the story? Yeah, there? so we, we were in when the, probably the last five seasons the Nets were in New Jersey. Lauren and I had just started dating. Um, you know, when we were doing different things. Um, I obviously love sports, and, you know, she was interested in sports. You know, she was a lifelong Giants fan. But then I think we got like free tickets one night to a Nets game. We went. She's like, oh, this is really fun. So back then, like, Nets tickets you can get for, like, $10, maybe less than that. So we used to start going to Nets games and really enjoying ourselves. And then um, we just decided one year to buy season tickets. So being that um, there were very few New Jersey Nets fans who were loyal and consistent like we were, um, perks often came from that. Um, and so it happened to be the, the game that you're referencing was the night that the Nets either tied the record for the worst start in um, NBA history. Oh, shit. Um, it was Owen, whatever it was. And Lauren and I were sitting in the stands. I think we got upgraded that night because we were like five, we were center court, like five rows from the court. And all of a sudden, like, it was just two of us. No one else was there. It was about ten, less than 10 minutes before tip off. And some guy comes over to us with this big camera and is like, hey, I, I hope you don't mind, but um, I just took your picture for the Star Ledger. Um, you know, he took our information. And sure enough, next day, there was the picture in the sports section of the Star Ledger um, about these terrible Nets and their fans, and then this idiot couple um, sitting there, um, you know, sitting there by themselves to watch the watch the game. Um, so we thought that was cool. So we ended up printing that out, and then again, because of our the perks they gave us, um, we used to be able to go courtside for the games and meet the players and stuff. So um, we had most of the team sign that picture. Oh, it was so cool, and for what it's worth, in in terms of the Nets super fans, I'll take you over Mister Whammy any day. <laughs> We have we actually have a shared nets and and heat experience, yeah. but it's more it's more nets. Uh, I th- we went the one time right. It was ju- it was yeah. the playoff game. It was that playoff game. So back then, back when business was booming, um, my wife was able to get us tickets to go to <coughs> a playoff game for the Nets, and they happened to be playing Miami. I think it was like the second round, mm-hmm. and we found out that the tickets came with like a fifteen hundred dollar stipend for food and drink each. We had there was four of us. And I remember taking that as a personal challenge. We had ac- and because of you know th- they were corporate tickets, we had access to the the private everything. clubs and everything. I want to say the final tally was like seven or eight hundred bucks between the four of us. Which, I mean, I'm still crushed that we didn't hit four figures, but we gave it our all. I mean, we we ate and drank as much as we possibly could. I don't think I could have fit another thing in me that night. Hey, I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I remember the last thing I choked down was like an ice cream sandwich or something um, just to like, I just had to have it. But oh my God, I never ate and drank so much in my life. I wound up, I remember smuggling stuff out uh, like just just to, to get our money's worth. And again, this was the, the thing I forgot to mention. So I just was going through one of the cabinets recently. And from that uh, legendary Atlantic City trip, I have one half of a welcome sign that I think you have uh, the other half of. I don't remember where we got it That's from, hysterical. but I think you got the well and I had the rest of it. That's really funny. Hey. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was funny, but yeah, so we went to, to the Nets game and, um, it was, it was a good time. It was interesting. Yeah. I remember cause I think we went out before too. Did we go to tourist or something before or we, or we went somewhere before? Oh, it was tour. Oh man. That, yeah, that was, that was also an expensive uh, yeah. trip. That, and that, that guy knew he was so smooth. Uh-huh. The, the bartender uh-huh. there, he was just like, yeah, you guys should try this. Uh-huh. Yeah. Of course. Of course you're saying that. Right. 
but we, yeah when, when you get stuff for free to go from a place like that you know you spent too uh, much time in yes there. but it was absolutely worth yeah, it. yeah that was a, that was a great day but in terms of our sports fandom it actually goes a little bit deeper than just you know watching teams and stuff uh we actually both named our firstborn sons after our respective favorite athletes and I don't think that's necessarily uncommon. Maybe nowadays. I mean, I don't know. You know, names are crazy these days. So who the hell knows? But n- naming your kid after your favorite athlete, again, is probably not that uncommon. But getting the opportunity for that kid to meet that athlete someday is, I mean, that's got to be one in a billion chance. And for both of us to have gotten to do it. That's pretty is, awesome. Is unbelievably yeah. awesome. But for Derek's side, for it to be named, for him to be named after the Derek that uh, you got to meet. I mean, that is just forget one in a billion. That's like one in a billion lifetimes. Yeah, it's it's one of those things when I when I saw it and I told Lauren the cost and she's like, we need to figure it out. Like, this is kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity. You guys, you need to do this. Yeah, a shout out to to Lauren and Heather for being so supportive of our ridiculous ventures and stuff. And understand, and and that's the thing you mentioned that she wasn't a big sports fan, and, and neither is Heather. But I think they're fans of us, mm-hmm. and I think they saw they they sort of knew innately like how um, how important that was going to be for us. My little my co host here. Yeah, Sorry, dog, yeah. So yeah, so to, it, it's pretty wild to have wives yeah. who are. That's right, Dada. So supportive of our sports fandom and understanding. I mean, also, you know, to even allow us to name to name the kids for our favorite athletes, just, just in and of itself is pretty cool. But then to enable us to have these experiences, I, you know, I'll do my whole thing with Tim and Tim Hardaway at some point, which, by the way, you want to talk about worst starts ever. Tim Hardaway has the record for the single worst shooting performance of all time. Is that right? Over 17 from the field. Wow. Look, but, at the, look at that record. But I would say most people probably don't know who Tim Hardaway is if they're not big basketball sure. fans. Derek Jeter, however, <laughs> is, a, is a separate beast entirely. And so if you're willing to uh, share a little bit about yeah. that experience. Yeah. So, you know, I actually, let me, let me, let me wind back to being a child and collecting baseball cards and remember collecting Yankees cards and Mets cards and, you know, being home and showing my dad and my dad's telling me, well, you can't like both teams. You need to pick one. So I, at that point, you know, this was back in the you know, probably mid to late 80s, early 90s, I, I picked the Yankees. I, I want to root for the Yankees. Shortly after, you know, the Yankees of the 90s, the dynasties, um, is when I, you know, I was a... Oh, wait, so you, you were a fan before that. Oh, yeah. I, I Like I said, it, this goes back to maybe being five, six, seven years old and having that conversation with my father telling me that you can't, you can't root for both teams. You need to pick one. So I picked the Yankees. And obviously back then, you know, I followed them. I liked them. But I didn't really know. You know, I wasn't like super into it. But then being an awkward teenager in the 90s um, looking for extra role models and, you know, really just had and the Yankees winning as much as they did in the 90s. Um, you know, I think when they won in 96, uh, we were 13. Um, so that's when, you know, Jeter came up and um, I just fell in love with him and, and his, you know, his abilities. And then over the years, watching him on and off the field and how, how well he handled everything, I should always had a big respect for that. Yeah, the way he carried himself. And that's why I was surprised, too, because I feel like uh, most people our age 
they came to, you know, Yankee fandom because of 96. Like, they probably couldn't have named anybody on the 93 team. Right. Outside of Don Mattingly, maybe, right? So that's cool. See, that's the thing. Like, and, and it, weren't the 80s the one decade that they <laughs> yes. didn't win a title? So Yes. They, it had been a long time the Yankees won before 96. Right. And so for me, that just further solidifies fandom. I mean, listen, you can become fan, a fan of a team, any team you want for any reason, you know, but there's there's levels to it. And so the authenticity factor there goes up more because you were there during the downtime, you know? Yeah, and then, and then you know, again, watching watching Derek Jeter become the captain of the New York Yankees, um, playing in New York City, and listen, early in his career, did he catch some crap for maybe partying too much? Yeah, but besides that, he spent 20 years in, in the in the light of New York City, never one bad PR story. You never heard of anything about him being a bad guy. He never made excuses. He went out there. He played hard. He held people accountable. And just as a kid growing up and seeing that attitude, that mentality, and relating it to winning, it's just something that I kind of tied on to and, and really had a lot of respect for. Yeah, and in, in terms of a role model, uh, th- this is a whole separate topic or discussion, right? But I think... It- Nowadays, people would benefit from being able to separate the private from the professional, right? Like if there's a reason, you know, if there's a singer, if there's an athlete, if there's somebody who you really respect for, you know, their contributions to their respective fields, but then you find out that that person doesn't, you know, like the same thing you like, or they've said something that wasn't super nice or whatever, like you got to be able to separate those things. And with Jeter, you know, yeah, he he probably enjoyed himself and, and well, he should especially because it never affected his performance on the field ever. Not, no. He, the guy never had a down, you know, a down day. And he was never the best player on the field, right? He's certainly not the best shortstop that ever played and but he he gave it his all. He tried everything and he certainly was clutch. He came through when the team needed it. So, I always just had so much respect for that and he was definitely my my obviously, you know, my my parents were always my biggest role models, but looking for, you know, that celebrity figure became Derek Jeter. So, fast forward many years later when Lauren and I found out we were pregnant, and we were having a boy. I just thought it would be really cool to name our, our child after my role model, Derek, you know, Derek Jeter. Um, and then it also turns out that um, Jewish people name um, name children after those have passed. So um, my Derek's middle, our son Derek's middle name is Joseph after my grandfather Joseph. So we kind of had that DJ. I'm just gonna say I didn't yeah. realize he was a DJ too. Oh, so, that's so cool. So he was a DJ in the plan at first, and when he was a baby, we used to call him DJ. Um, but then it just he just preferred Derek as he got older. He's definitely a Derek. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. definitely he's definitely a Derek. But so yeah, so I'll never forget the day I came home. I thought of this idea that I wanted to name our, our firstborn Derek Joseph, and I was gonna go propose it to Lauren and see how it went over. And when I said it to her, she's like, "I think that's a great idea. Let's do it." It was like one of the coolest days of my life um, to be able to you know make that happen see you get that experience right and then my my whole tack for because i it was a joint decision right but i was the one who sort of promoted the names for each of of my kids and i can be pretty stubborn and so and and not manipulative but at least you know creatively thinking and so i was able to you know to throw it out there that like Heather had the opportunity to experience the miracles of, of development and, you know, childbirth and maybe not the miracles of childbirth. That doesn't seem like it's all that fun. But still, I was like, you get to have all these experiences that I just physically can never have. I'm like, the least you can let me do is, you know, have some input is, here. it's just the right. name, you know. And, uh, you know, you proposed Derek Joseph and it was well received. Of course, I proposed Vendetta <laughs> as a name for, you know, Sarah. That got shot down. Well, but, that, you, yeah, but, it's here now. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, de- yeah, definitely don't bite if you're over there. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, and so 
to just to, to have that experience of being able to ha- have your child and name them uh, with something that has extra meaning for you is great. But there was another opportunity that you were referencing that came up not that long ago. Yeah, right? so um, it was a couple years ago now. Um, I saw something online somewhere that um, it was after Jeter retired and that the Louisville Slugger Museum in Louisville, Kentucky was going to be having a ceremony to honor Derek Jeter. And, um, you know, I guess he used the same Louisville Slugger model bat for his entire career. So it was a ceremony to kind of like retire that model or name. No, I think they they ended up naming the model after him and it was a ceremony and Jeter was going to be there and they were going to have a question and answer thing. And there were different packages um, that either came with um, signed memorabilia and then the highest level package was um, a meet and greet with Jeter as well as a bunch of signed signed memorabilia. So that's when I kind of showed it to Lauren and she was like, we need to figure this out. Like you need to go. Which was like amazing. So yeah, Derek um, Schwartz and I, we went down to Louisville, Kentucky for a weekend, and uh, we did a lot of fun stuff there. We bet on the horses at Churchill Downs, and we met Derek Jeter and hung out with him for a night. Any good beer while you were there? Or? Um, not really. I mean, we we went to a couple of local breweries, um, and obviously I hit up a couple of distilleries and stuff. But um, you know, it was really the weekend where just me and Derek, and so we I tried to do like. I wasn't going to drag him to all these breweries because it really wasn't fair to him. So we, we had a little, I had a little bit of beer, a little bit of bourbon, but he and I, we went to the Muhammad Ali Museum. We went, like I said, went to Churchill Downs, the Science Museum. And then, yeah, we spent an evening, um, all you could eat and drink event with Derek Jeter, uh, which was the highlight of it all. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And originally, weren't you guys going to go to his Cooperstown induction? Yeah. Was so that, was that screwed up because of COVID? Because of COVID. We had, we had gotten tickets. So backtrack. I went, another thing Lauren, you know, I always owe her for is um, Jeter's last game at the stadium. Um, She told me that, again, tickets were pretty expensive. She told me, you got to figure out how to go. So um, I went to that. And then, um, yeah, we had tickets to go to um, this Cooperstown induction, but that got um, canceled because of the pandemic. So that never happened. So then being able to go down to Kentucky to have this night where, you know, for me to thank Jeter for, um, he probably thought I was such a weirdo, but he probably, I hope he gets it all the time, um, for, you know, being able to look up to him and, and I named my, my son after him, um, was definitely an experience I'll never forget. And hopefully Derek, my son doesn't either, even though, um, sports, he doesn't really care for sports at the moment. I hope someday he appreciates it. Yeah. Well, I think just looking back and understanding that connection is going to be what matters to him more so sure. than like the, the sports part of it sure. too. No, that's so awesome. We're, we're, we're both definitely super lucky to have the support, the support systems at home that we have, to have the understanding, and then to be able to have, um, it's funny, right before the, I had the opportunity to go to Tim Hardaway's, finally, 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 his, uh, Hall of Fame induction with Tim, Heather had actually gotten me, he was on Cameo. And she had gotten that. me one. I, Lauren got you one too, right? When you had the uh, the foot thing, it was one of the the YouTubers or something. I remember it was oh, pretty funny. No, some no some of my buddies from high school got me that. Um, she got me a cameo for someone else at some point from a reality show or something. Yeah, but when I was hurt with my foot thing, um, some of my friends got me. Um, his name's escaping me right now. Uh, the Cougine, the the pizza guy. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, good. It was really funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was really cool to you know to have had those experiences, and. Um, yeah, it's it's a bond that you guys will have forever. And and again, I can tell you from, you know, going on trips to places that I dreamed about going since I was a little kid and wanting to, you know, have the timing be perfect with the kids, you know, like going up to Alaska. We were in the fr- dude, we were in a desert in the middle of the Yukon territory. 
the kids probably don't remember that, right. but they'll remember some silly, crazy little thing. They, 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 okay. If you ask Sarah about our trip to Alaska, while Tim and I, I took Tim on a solo hike because we were over by the Mendenhall Glacier and there was a waterfall. And I was like, as I've always been, I see something and I'm like, I got to get to the top of that. And so Heather was cool enough to let me take Tim, you know, on a solo hike. And she took the little ones back to the hotel. And the one thing that Sarah will tell you from the entire trip, okay, the entire trip to Alaska, the Yukon, Seattle, all of it was that morning. They got to have a second breakfast. Going back. Okay. To the hey, it's a little things that matter. And that's just it. And, right. you know, in terms of Derek and the, the Jeter connection and stuff, even if he doesn't get it now, hopefully at some point, you know, I'm sure he will. Yeah. I mean, if anything, I want him to remember. He, and I'll do this with Kendall, my daughter, eventually, you know, when she gets a little bit older. But Derek and I do these things called brocations, right? Where just he and I will do something, you know, get away for a night or two. So if the Derek Jeter thing never really means a lot to him, I just hope that he'll always remember he and I, you know, went on a plane to Kentucky for the weekend. Uh, you know, we, we saw new places, tried new things, um, and had a good weekend together. Um, but I do hope, you know, we had one of the things we got from the Jeter thing was a frame, a signed Jersey, um, that's framed with our picture with him. Um, so that'll be hanging up in our man cave for, for years to come. So, you know, hopefully someday he'll be able to enjoy telling that story to those around him. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine that it's not going to have an impact on him at some point. And especially too, right? Anybody, I, I can't speak for everybody, but I'm pretty confident in saying that anybody who knows you appreciates you, your friendship, your generosity of just everything, but time and all that. And the fact that you're taking that time, you make the time for your kids to, to do those types of things, even if they don't appreciate it now or understand it, it's one of those things that I think will will definitely pay off down the road. And it's a concern I have too, to be fair, right? Like I'm I'm always self-conscious and concerned about, you know, will the kids remember this or that or that I did this for them or with them or whatever. And I mean, we have no control over it, but you know what? I think what really matters is just that we're doing it. You know, we're present I, we're present for our kids. Absolutely. And uh you're present for a lot of people, the again, the unofficial mayor of of alternate ending. And yeah, why don't we just close out with that? So how has thing how have things been going for you over at AE? Because it I, seems like it's a great spot. It is a great spot. Um, it was like I said, I had been working in that industry since I was twenty one, so almost twenty years I've been working in the beer industry to some extent. And um I never had an experience like alternate ending because not only is it beer, but it's a full bar, um, cocktails, you know, shots. Um, there's a restaurant, there's food. So it was a whole new world for me. But um, Scott, um, the owner of Alternate Ending and management there, were super supportive of, of bringing me on when they didn't really have to. And I've been really enjoying myself there. Great team from top to bottom, great crew. Uh, I've learned a lot and I'm having a lot of fun. And it's a converted movie theater, right? It Which is. is the craziest part. Yeah, so it was a movie, it was like a family movie theater, um, mom and pop movie theater for like a very long time that went out right before the pandemic. And then um, our owner, Scott, he, he, the space kind of fell in his lap. And originally we were going to be just a regular production brewery because that was his experience. But then um, he ended up getting a liquor license as well and then rewriting his business plan to become a brew pub, hooking up Tallulah's from Asbury Park for the food part. So it's like, it's a uni unique experience, very family friendly, again, very supportive staff from top to bottom and then for me you know like having a part-time job on top of a full-time job on top of family is hard so I always wanted it to be something that I enjoy doing um, and I love 
I love talking beer. I love talking with people. Um, you know, so um, it's a great experience. I mean, I'll be there um, in December. So I've been there about two and a half years, and I've enjoyed every moment of it. Wow. And they do, and you can rent out uh, the movie theater space for parties and stuff yeah, too, right? Like, absolutely. So. Actually, um, last weekend, I actually, so people rent out the, our theater, movie theater room all the time for parties. And actually, last Saturday, they were a little short staffed, so they asked me to serve um, a party in the uh, movie theater, a private party in the movie theater room, which I did. Um, and that was very cool. But yeah, you, you can rent that out. We do movie nights, trivia every Monday. The food's good. The drinks are great. Um, everything's great. So um, if you're ever in the Aberdeen area, stop on by and uh, I'll pour you a nice Pilsner or something. I was going to say the service is probably the greatest of all because your reputation definitely precedes you. I don't know if I had told you this, but Jackson and James Cherick played uh, travel basketball together. And when... Uh, his dad and I started chatting up. Somebody mentioned to me, they're like, oh yeah, you should talk to James. You know, he's really big into beer too. So we started talking and he, the first thing he mentioned was how he goes to alternate. He was going to alternate ending. Uh, this great spot called alternate ending, like every Friday or whatever. And he mentioned you at some point and I was like, get the hell out of here. How funny is that? That like, you know, he didn't know that we knew each other, that we lived on the same block or any of that stuff. And it was kind of cool. I didn't say anything right away, but I, I just wanted to see, you know, what he was going to say. And he just had great things to say about you as everybody always does. Oh, and rightfully you. so. And, uh, you know, this is a morning podcast, so we didn't wind up doing any beers, but we'll definitely have to get together soon. I will be coming back with Treehouse for you in uh, in a couple of weeks. That's awesome. So we'll, we'll definitely have to get together for a, a celebratory brew, I guess, right around your, your birthday. Yeah, right? and, so, and, we'll, and we'll actually be out in L.A. for my birthday, so hopefully I'll be bringing back some stuff from there. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad we finally got together to do this. Uh, you, were, you were one of the first people I wanted to, to have on, but I wanted to kind of get my uh, my feet under me, you know, and, and feel like I knew what I was doing. Not that I know what I'm doing no, now. No, this, this is really fun. It was a great setup. I really appreciate um you considering me that anybody would have any interest in what i had to say um and this was a lot of fun coming on here today yeah and and that was it like the storytelling aspect of it i think was what i was looking forward to because we always have a good time wherever we are there's always some crazy story or some wacky thing that uh that happens uh you know whether it's the the pennies the, <sighs> the you know the kid with the mustache right there's there's just a whole a whole book filled with uh, references, and that's that's my favorite part about our friendship or and about life in general is just, well, you know, life's too short. Have fun. Always make. I'm all about the story. Always have a good story to tell. Um, just enjoy every moment you can. We've had a lot of good stories over the years, and looking forward to many more to come. Yeah, same here, man. Well, thanks so much to my buddy Dave Schwartz for coming by, and thank you everybody for listening wherever and whenever you are. <laughs>